0: We live in a world filled with noise. I mean, some of us experience more noise than others, that's sure, but but we live in a world filled with noise. Dogs barking, children fighting, babies crying, the aged coughing. I mean, there's just noise everywhere. Televisions and radios, iPods, whatever else you got playing, the, the computer, all sorts of things. Garbage trucks going down the road, school buses stopping, cars honking, noise noise everywhere. More noise. I'm about to break into Dr. Seuss right here. And then there's the noise that comes from these instruments, uh, the TV and the radio, the iPod, the sounds of politicians arguing or pundits, punditing, whatever pundits do. Uh, You have the sounds of maybe a preacher's preaching. That would be delightful. Um, Maybe you have uh, commercials selling you something, phones ringing. Calls coming in of disaster and celebration, warnings, festivities, and everything in between. We live in a very, very noisy world. Scientists can even hear us way out into outer space. We make a lot, a lot of noise. About five years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Gethsemane Monastery near Bargetown, Kentucky. Gethsemane uh, is a Trappist monastery. And whilst the Trappists don't take a vow of silence, they practice extended periods of silence. They they try to avoid what they call any unnecessary speech, which is almost everything. And so they hardly ever talk. Even when you go to the cafeteria to eat lunch, there's a little sign on the table that says, silence is spoken here. As if to remind you, no idle chit-chat. You're walking down the hall and you see a monk. He'll drop his gaze to the floor, lest you even come upon these regular pleasantries like, Hello, how are you doing? Not even that. It's just quiet. Which, ironically, is pretty noisy itself ever a little bit. Um, and I don't know what you would do, but I like to went crazy for about two days. It was, it was driving me mad. I wanted to ask questions just to hear my own voice and to hear somebody else's, like, What time do you think lunch is? Or, uh, you know, which way was it? To the gift shop and what other hour? You know, just anything to get some conversation. You think fasting food is difficult? Try fasting every form of noise. It's almost painful, isn't it? Fasting noise. And, And so there I was kind of... Just longing for some conversation. Wanting somebody to say something like, did you watch the Buckeyes yesterday? Which, by the way, did you watch the Buckeyes yesterday? Um, they're all just something, some great conversation. The Northwestern alum down here shaking her head. Um, you had your chance? Uh, here, just a little bit. Just, just, some, just some kind of conversation for a bit. But then about the third day, something happened. It suddenly became very peaceful, very tranquil. The silence suddenly became comfortable instead of uncomfortable. It suddenly became something that I was enjoying and beginning to cherish and not run away from. I thought that maybe just for a little bit I had some clarity of thought. You know, it wasn't so jumbled in my thinking. I even felt like my prayers were more effective. Like, I was able to to hear the voice of God more clearly, to to communicate more effectively. It became really quite a blessing to me. And so if you ever go, make sure you stay more than two days, okay? Uh, And when you do, just, it's a great thing. But it takes a bit. The Bible says that Jesus went on a retreat kind of like this. He went out into the desert. Not a lot of people in the desert, (laughs) perhaps you've noticed. Uh, You know, they don't usually move out there unless they're building cities for casinos. A lot of people don't go out into the desert. They tend to stay out of the desert. And in Jesus' day, that certainly was the case. And so he goes out there and, and, and it's quiet. No sounds of the market going on. No Roman soldiers barking orders at people as they walk down the street. You know, there, there wasn't the sound of, of a hammer swinging and hitting nails, something he probably heard every day of his life. No fisherman telling off-color jokes. It was just quiet. It was just silence in the wilderness all by himself. I, I don't know if any of you ever do this, but one of the real treasures that I have found living here the greatest treasure is y'all, but one of the best, tre- another treasure, a second best, is that we live really close to the Cuyahoga Valley, and and just almost in your backyard, you can go out and, and in a moment, you know, you can be into the woods and and, and off into a hike. And, and Abby and I loved it. I, Monday is my Sunday, so on Mondays, you know, we'll, we'll go hiking in in the woods, even when it's snowy, especially when it's snowy. Uh, we, we go off on these uh, winter hikes. And, and I, I love the way the snow kind of even muffles the normal, natural sounds, don't you? I mean, you can hear your feet kind of crunching underneath, and we take our, our Labrador and let Lucy run, and, and so she's up ahead. There's nobody out there on the trail in the wintertime, just us. Most people have sense. And, uh, and so she's out there running, and, and, and we're walking, and it's so quiet. A couple of my former students came up... Uh, I don't know, about two weeks ago, and they, they stayed with uh, Abby and I, and, um, and they went to hear this uh, famous hiker. I don't know who he is. He was at the Happy Days Lodge telling about his trip up to the Appalachian Trail, and then I guess he went up into uh, to Alaska and, and hiked like 4,000 miles in Alaska over a period of several months. and you know they, So they went to hear this guy. In fact, they inspired me. I think this summer... A significant portion of the Buckeye Trail is going to be accomplished, I think. That's what I want to do. My point, though, is out in the desert, in the wilderness, when nobody's around, it's really, really quiet. What's more for Jesus, he's not just out there in the silence, he hasn't eaten for a month. He's fasting human companionship, he's fasting noise. He's fasting conversation. He's fasting food. Perhaps living on very little water. Out in the wilderness. When Jesus enters into the wilderness, I think Matthew wants us to hear echoes of the Old Testament. If you were reading this as a first century Jew, you would hear all of these echoes and they would be so, they would be so pronounced. Forty days Sounds a lot like 40 years, doesn't it? In the wilderness. Israel in the wilderness. He's talking about the story of Israel. Jesus is living out in this passage the story of Israel. Matthew is saying, when you hear what Jesus is doing, you should hear what Israel is doing. And and a lot of us, when we think about Israel, we think about a little strip of land. Southeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. You know, this place, we even say, you know, I went to Israel, or, or next week we're going to Israel. Or have you ever been to Israel? You know, like it's a place to go to, but not in Jesus' world. Israel was not a place, it was a people. Always a people. It, it was a family. It came from a person. His name at first was Jacob. God changes it to Israel. It, the, the, the nation, the people are His children, Literally. His children and grandchildren and grandchildren's grandchildren. The children of Israel. So it is that Jesus is doing what Israel was called to do. But maybe you remember the story. Israel in the desert. Remember that story? Maybe? No? Here's how it goes. Uh, Israel is in Egypt. God delivers them. They go into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they can't seem to get it right. They keep being disobedient. They keep refusing to do what God had asked them to do. But where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. He does what Israel could not do or would not do. And so he faces hardship, just like Israel faced. He faces hunger, just like they faced. He faces loneliness. And he's needy. And in the midst of his loneliness and neediness, he faces attack. What kind of attack? Diabolos in Greek. The devil shows up. An interesting word, Diabolos. It means the one who wants to separate. The Satan, the Satan, the one who brings an accusation. But here at first it's Diabolos, The one who wants to separate. He wants to separate Jesus from the Father. And you've seen the attack, haven't you? Since you're the Son of Man or if you're the Son of Man. See these stones, make them come and become bread. We know Jesus can do great things with food. He changes a few fish and a couple of loaves into enough to feed thousands. It shouldn't have been a hard thing to do. And yet he refuses. You shall not live by bread alone he says to the diabolus to the devil but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The temptation of course is to do for himself instead of trusting in God to provide. Do it for yourself, rely on yourself. This is the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? God knows. He knows that when you do this, you'll be just like Him. We heard it in the Old Testament lesson. That the devil has no new tricks. He just puts a new kind of a finish on him, doesn't he? The second temptation, uh, he takes him to the high place and says, you know, jump off from here. Remember, it's in the Bible. It's right there. I'll take you to the Psalm. He quotes it word for word. I check the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, with the Greek translation from Matthew's word for word. Not even a not even a, a, a different word order. The devil quotes it perfectly. He'll give his angels charge over you. You won't dash your foot against a stone. Word for word, he says it right. Just as an aside, the devil knows the scripture pretty well. He knows it sometimes, I think, better than a lot of us. And he quotes it, brings it right back to Jesus. Here's the assumption, though, that's built into the temptation. God may won't keep his promises. Maybe God's not also trustworthy after all. That subtle insinuation is the temptation, and Jesus refuses. And then, of course, the third one: control over the world. There's a shortcut. Look, you don't need all that cross business. You don't need to do it that way. It's hard, you know. Take the easy way, and Jesus, of course, refuses that. The end does not justify the means. But here's the thing about this narrative: that not the devil's crafty temptations that interest me today. Nor is it Jesus' response. It's rather the conspicuous absence that's problematic to me today. I'm not wa- worried about Jesus' wanderings in the wilderness, not even how it relates to Israel, or about what the devil was doing in his temptations. What bothers me, and maybe it bothers you if you were honest, is someone is silent. God is talked about a lot in this passage, isn't he? He's mentioned by Jesus. He's mentioned by the devil. He certainly seems to be in the background of everything. But why doesn't he speak? I mean, why doesn't God just say, Hey, devil, out of here. Leave this one alone. He belongs to me. I mean, I'm troubled by God's silence sometimes. Maybe you're not. But I am. Sometimes I want to know, where is God in the midst of an earthquake or a tsunami? Where is God in the midst of... Uh, of, of a famine or or widespread disease why, where why isn't he speaking? you know hello, you know we're down here it, I, and somebody right now is sitting about ready to whisper to some doesn't he know who he's supposed to be defending? you know hey buddy, you're the priest you, we're the ones that are supposed to be asking all the questions yeah hey, you're supposed to have the Hey, you know what take it up with my boss. I have questions. And they're perplexing ones. Where is God in the midst of this attack? And maybe you've wondered yourself. Where was God in the midst of my attack? Why is He silent? How about speaking up once in a while? But maybe He already has. Maybe the problem isn't that God isn't speaking. The problem is we weren't listening. Maybe God has already spoken. Jesus quotes Scripture, doesn't He? When the attack comes, what does He do? He doesn't say, you know, let me, let me argue with you about the foolishness. If you look at the woman in Genesis 3, what does she do? She enters into a theological debate with the Satan, with the serpent in that, in that passage. She enters into a theological debate. We should not eat it or touch it. Never does God actually say that you shouldn't touch it. Yeah, she, she says, surely God is good to us. He gives us plenty to eat. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he simply quotes the Word of God. He simply goes back and says, if you want to be successful facing temptation... Just say what God has already said. You see, God doesn't need to speak into the moment because He already has spoken in the pages of Holy Scripture. God has spoken into our world and He's spoken into every situation that we can find ourselves. Yeah, I know it's difficult sometimes to find, but it's there. Jesus' first words to the devil are the words that we have to hold close to ourselves We shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we'll live. I, I have a, 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 this guy I know who was a, a He was not a pilot. He went with a friend who was a pilot. This fellow was telling me a story about a time he went with this pilot in this small plane up in, and was taking this trip. And he said it was great. You know, they're up in this little plane. They're... Uh, traveling, it was a pretty good distance. He said, and, and it was nice and sunny and the weather was great and it was fun. And you're looking down and seeing all the little ants and people, you know, and, and dri- flying around. And he says, but then all of a sudden these clouds just kind of rushed in. He said, so bad was the visibility that the pilot, he, you couldn't see anything. Just flying through these clouds. A- and this fellow says, after about uh, 10 or 15 minutes, he said, I started to have this feeling that the plane wasn't like this, but that it was going straight down towards the ground. He said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up there in the front seat looking out the front window and I'm sure, I'm positive, the plane is heading nosedive into the ground. He says, and I started to yell at the pilot, pull this nose up, we're, we're going to die, we're going to crash. And the pilot's like, no, we're fine, we're fine. No, no, you have to pull it up. And he said he began to panic. And the pilot says to him, listen, what your experience is called vertigo. It happens to a lot of pilots when they get up in the air and they get surrounded by uh, by clouds and they can 't see it, it, the, the experience of vertigo is that you have to learn that sometimes you do, your body 's not interpreting the signals right. You actually have to learn to ignore your senses and simply fly by the instrument panel. Look right here, it tells us the plane 's level right here it tells us the altitude we 're steady. Look at the instruments, fly by the instruments. Because your body will lie to you. Your feelings will deceive you. He says every pilot has to be taught this. We have to fly by the instrument panel. Not just by the way we feel at the moment. We have to fly by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen.